Well, good morning, North Roanoke. It's great to be here um, as your pastor for succession, and it's great to have the opportunity to speak to you on the subject of joy from Luke's Gospel, the second chapter. Uh, I just want to point out that we can keep this string of firsts going. Um, next week will be my first, second official sermon at North Roanoke. And then the next time I preach, it'll be my first, third official sermon and, and ongoing. So we can just have this enthusiasm and this joy from now until uh, the Lord calls me home or retires me or whatever happens. Um, someone, I ran into a, a lifelong friend that, that I've known since going over to Northside High just yesterday. And um, I don't know if he's a believer or not, but he has some good questions about the gospel. And one of the questions he asked me is like, why did you come back to Roanoke? You were in Raleigh. And uh, I said, well, I came back to Roanoke because I want to see, and it just came out of my mouth, I want to see the Roanoke Valley transformed by the gospel in a generation or less. That's, that's why I'm here. And uh, that's why we're here. Uh, we're not here to dabble. Uh, we're not here for one or two. We are here for the one or the two. But, but I believe God wants to save our city. That He wants to save our valley. That He wants to... Uh, use us as instruments in His hands to do amazing things in this valley, not because of who we are, but because of who He is, trusting that His Spirit is going to lead us and guide us every step of the way. Well, this morning, I want to speak on the subject of the shepherds, and in particular, who finds joy in this life. Shepherds, who finds joy in this life? And when I went to go prepare this sermon, I headed over to Panera Bread, and I think about half of you were there that morning. Uh, but this was just a few days ago when, believe it or not, it was 29 degrees, not 77 degrees. And so I was eager to get into Panera, get started, get the free Wi-Fi going, dive into the scriptures and the commentaries and the prayer and start writing. And when I pulled into the parking lot, this is what I found. On the screen, when it moves. This is what I discovered. Now wouldn't you know that every other single space in the row closest to the door was taken and there's this perfectly good Tahoe that missed two perfectly good spaces. It missed on both of them. And I know that's probably one of your Tahoes. It's, it's okay. Um, I'll come to you as a brother later. We're not going to pursue church discipline. I, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, just for a moment, I, I laughed at, at God's humor. I'm getting ready to go into Panera to begin work on a sermon on the subject of joy. And for just a moment, my joy was taken by a double park Tahoe. And I thought, Lord, forgive me. Uh, forgive me for allowing so often my joy to be dictated by my circumstances and not by the accomplished work of Christ on my behalf. Which is what we're going to consider today. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the manger. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the fact that you've ascended on high and that you offer joy to all those who place their faith in you. We ask God that we would understand and comprehend in some measure the depths of that reality this morning. In Jesus' name and for his glory we ask it. Amen. In 1965, the Rolling Stones released what many regard as their greatest song of all time, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. 
The song captures the desperation of those who seek to find lasting satisfaction in a lifestyle of consumerism and licentiousness, and it captures it with these words. You've got to remember this song, right? I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I can't get no, I can't get no satisfaction. You know, this is the hymn, this is the refrain of so many in our world today. People trying every conceivable way to find satisfaction in worldly achievement, pleasures, comforts, and they still haven't found what they're looking for. It's like the preacher in Ecclesiastes who says, I toiled with my hands. I pursued all the lavish affections of the world. I did everything that I could possibly do under the sun. And then I looked on all the works of my hands that I had done and on the labor which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. So what is this? answer to the satisfaction that we seek. The Bible describes this state of satisfaction that the human soul craves as joy. In verse 10, the angel brings to the shepherds and to us a message of great joy. How is it then that this message can truly satisfy our souls? I believe we see four things in the text. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, that must characterize anyone who finds true joy in this life. First, they must receive the Gospel personally. Second, they must pursue the Savior immediately. Third, they must declare the Gospel faithfully. And fourth, they must praise God continually. So to find joy in this life, the first thing we discover in the text is that we must receive the Gospel personally. In verse 8, Luke turns from the birth of Jesus to the proclamation of the significance of Jesus' coming. And God sends an angel to bring his good tidings to the shepherds, literally to evangelize the shepherds. It's not a noun there, not bring good news, but sharing the good news with someone. It's the same thing when we preach the gospel to another. When we tell someone the good news that Jesus has come, we are evangelizing someone. And God sends an angel with the gospel from heaven. The gospel doesn't originate on earth. It originates in the heavens. And God sends his angel with the good news to the shepherds. And why is it that God begins with shepherds in fields near Bethlehem? Daryl Bach, a commentator, says, Luke is showing us heaven's testimony to simple folk. And, and rightly so, much has been made of the fact that the shepherds had a lowly estate, that they were humble. But the reality is that all of us need to see ourselves as being in this lowly estate, that apart from God doing something for us, that we would all be lost and perish in our Sin. So what is it that God is doing, bringing the gospel to the shepherds? I believe he's doing something more than saying, here's some lowly people. He's doing more than saying, I've come especially for the poor and the sick and the tired and the hungry, by sending the message to the shepherds. He's doing this. God is reminding us that the Old Testament promises are fulfilled not only by a king, not only by a son, but by a shepherd who would come and protect his sheep. You see, the shepherds understood that sheep were saved by the shepherd who kept them. 
The Pharisees were parading about thinking that they could save themselves by their law keeping, but here are the shepherds doing what God purposes to do for us in His Son. They were protecting their sheep from the dangers of the darkness. Over and over again, God shows us He's going to use a shepherd to care for His people. Abel was a shepherd who offered a sacrifice acceptable to God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. King David, before he was ever anointed king, the eighth born of Jesse, was out tending his flocks in the fields near where? Bethlehem. So God sends an angel to these very same fields where he anointed a king in whose line he said one day Messiah would come and he brings the good news. Heaven is coming to earth, offering the peace of God for all who will trust in this babe, the Son of God and Son of Man given for us. So here we have the shepherds doing what shepherds are supposed to do, protecting their sheep from the prey and not preying upon the sheep. As, the Israel's, as Israel's leaders had so often done. And these shepherds were ready and willing to give their lives for their sheep if necessary. And an angel comes and says, the chief shepherd has come and he's going to do exactly that. You see, we find joy when we understand that the king of the universe isn't just king of the universe. He's the chief shepherd and the good shepherd. And he wants to tenderly care for our souls. So there they are, tending their sheep by night, and bam, an angel appears. That would get my attention. It's night, angel, glory of God. You know, sometimes I've heard people say, well, I I just wish God would send me an angel. I just wish God would do something miraculous to make me understand, to prove that his message is true. Well, he's already done it. He, He sent the angel. He recorded the event in his scripture. He preserved it through centuries as scribes wrote it down faithfully and gave us the account, the historical record that God has come and he's come exactly as he promised over centuries that he would come. He leaves no room for doubt that of all the religious messages in the world, there's only one that's true. There's only one that's verifiable. He sent the angel with the good news from heaven. Christ the king has come and he's come for you. Notice that Christ has not just come for all people. It's indeed good news. We read in verse 10 that He's come for all people. But the news they bring are tidings of great joy to you. Now, depending on your translation, the two before you may not be there. But in the Greek, this is written in such a way that the message is one of great joy unto you. You say, well, Daniel, why are you making a big deal about the word two? Here's why. Because it's the word that means, in this context, for the personal advantage of you. So yes, Jesus has come for the sins of the world, but he's also come for you and for your sins. So we've got to understand this morning that the gospel is for us individually, personally. And don't miss what the good news is. Look at verse 11. We see Three titles ascribed to Jesus and combined in one verse, which is nowhere else found in the New Testament. Jesus is called Savior in verse 11. He's called Christ in verse 11. He's called Lord in verse 11. Savior is the one who delivers us from our sin. 
Christ is the one anointed by God to forever reign and generously rule over his people. Lord is the same name for Yahweh in the Old Testament. Jehovah in the Old Testament. The one who has the absolute authority of God himself has come and taken on human flesh and allowed himself to be born and laid in a manger. Jesus the Savior has come. Christ the Messiah has come. The Lord has come. To find good news in this life, we must not only hear that it is good news, we must receive it as good news for us. You know, I share the gospel frequently with my children, and I ask them, well, who loves you? And they say, well, daddy loves me. Well, yeah. Well, who loves you more than daddy? Well, mama loves me. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Uh, Well, who loves you more than mom and dad put together? Grammy? Well... That's not the answer I was looking for. I was looking for Jesus. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus loves me more than anybody else. Correct. How do you know that's true? Well, Jesus died for sin. Good. Whose sin did he die for? He died for the sins of everybody, Daddy. Yes, he did, but that's not the answer that I'm looking for from you. I am looking forward to the day that my daughter and my son can proclaim and declare not only that Christ has come and he's died for the sins of the whole world, but that Christ has come and he's died for my sins. That's when we get the gospel, when we understand that Christ has come and he died for me. In order to have real joy in this life, in order to have great joy that overcomes and counterbalances the great fear when the God Almighty comes in the comes as an angel comes to to earth to give us his message. The only thing that overcomes that is the great joy we find in receiving the gospel that is for us, receiving it personally. But secondly, we must pursue the Savior immediately. We see this in verses 15 and 16. Uh, We'll sort of run past verses 13 and 14, though they are very important verses. Luke gives us there a rare glance of heavenly praise. Here, the angel is joined by a host of angels, and they address earth about Jesus' significance. Yes, the message is to all men, but God's peace, His heavenly peace, is only to those who repent of their sins and believe in this Jesus, this Savior, this King, this Lord, who is worthy of our supreme devotion. And heaven has declared His supreme worthiness from eternity past. And the angels, excuse me, the shepherds are examples of people who find God's good pleasure. How do we know this? Because they're like my dad chasing down a Black Friday special. After they get the message from the angel, you need to go to Bethlehem, they open up their newspaper, they get the advertisement written in the nighttime sky. What do they do? They go. They say, you know what we should do here? Uh, we should probably listen to the angel. And so those who find joy in this life aren't just the people who receive the gospel personally, but they pursue Jesus immediately. Now, they go in verse 16 with haste. Now, let's be honest. These could not have been Baptist shepherds. Right? I mean, if these were Baptist shepherds, they would have had to call a few committees together, right? Get a budget committee, get a best route to Bethlehem committee, Um, uh, get a marketing and offering committee. You'd have to get a lot of committees involved and then have a meeting and then maybe go. It's it's, uh, 
It's good to laugh at ourselves, right? Is that, is that okay? Uh, we can learn a lot from the shepherds in this text as a church and as individuals. They don't overcomplicate the message. They don't analyze it to death. They just go and they find exactly what they're looking for. The word for found in verse 16 doesn't just mean they found something. I went to the store and I found a few items. No, it means they went to Bethlehem looking for the babe, lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And guess what they found when they got to Bethlehem? They found exactly what they were looking for. Joy comes, brothers and sisters. Joy comes, North Roanoke Baptist Church. Joy comes, Roanoke Valley. Joy comes, Virginia, United States, and to the ends of the earth. It comes when we find God's true gift. And the reality is, there are lots of places, there are lots of people offering lots of counterfeit Jesuses and counterfeit Gospels. But like a good Coca-Cola, the shepherds find the real thing. Let me ask you this morning, what's keeping you from running to Jesus? What's keeping you from hearing the good news from heaven and running to Bethlehem and finding that God came down that you might be delivered from your lowly estate? You want some good news this morning? When you run to Jesus in faith, you will find exactly what you have been looking for. You will find the soul-satisfying joy which your soul seeks. Is your marriage about to implode this Christmas? Run to Jesus. Are you stuck in a dead-end job this Christmas? Run to Jesus. Don't have a job this Christmas. Run to Jesus. Christmas reminds you of past regrets and loved ones who have gone on to be with the Lord. Run to Jesus. In all things, run to Jesus. And remember this. No matter what trials you face, no matter what hardships you suffer, He has already faced down death for you if you will trust in him. And if you can face the second death with confidence in his kind favor, then you can face whatever this life throws at you. Who finds joy in this life? It's those who not only hear the message and recognize it's for them, they run to Jesus. Don't come to church for one more Christmas. Hear the gospel story one more time. Sing the Christmas songs again and again and leave without knowing this gospel and this Jesus are for you. Follow the shepherds and make haste to find Jesus who's come for you. But thirdly, those who find joy in this life must declare the gospel faithfully. So they receive the message personally. They Pursue Jesus immediately. And in verses 17 and 19, we find that they declare the gospel faithfully. You know, when Stacy finally agreed to start dating me, I told everybody about it. Now, you might think that's no big deal. You finally found a girl. Most people eventually do. Um, it was a big deal. And the reason it was a big deal, not only is because she's the most awesome wife anybody could ever have, um, but also because I had asked her a lot. You know what she said? Eh, not going to happen. You know, I, uh, I was a fundraiser for many years, almost 15 years. I raised money, and one of the comments that I most often received was this. How in the world can you ask somebody else for money? I can do anything in the world. I'll, I'll pick up trash. I'll do whatever, but don't ask me to ask somebody for money. And I said, well, here's the truth. 
I am very familiar with rejection. <laughs> My wife rejected me so many times before she agreed to go on a date. And when she agreed to go on a date, boy, did I tell everybody. And I told everybody because I had found what I was looking for and I was in this thing for real. And that's exactly the disposition of the shepherds. They run to Bethlehem and they find that God is good on his promise and they can't help but tell people. Danker tells us this, the depth of our spiritual commitment, in other words, the sincerity, the fullness of our spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. Did you catch that? When the angels disappear, when you run to Jesus and find that he's good on who he says he is, when you peer into the manger and recognize that the infinite eternal God of the universe has condescended and emptied himself of all but love so that you might be delivered and belong to him forever. When you see that and you really understand what God did for you, when that transforms your heart, you got to tell somebody. That's what Danker's saying. You want to know if it's real? Then do you have to proclaim that he is king, that he is good, that he is God, that he is Lord, that he went to the cross for me, that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and when I mess up, and when I'm burdened, and when things are down, that I have someone who pleads for me even when I don't know what to plead on my own behalf. That is real joy. That must be spoken and declared. The shepherds show us a real faith where the sequence is this. We get God's word from the angels. Then they run to the manger in faith. And then they give a testimony that they had seen exactly what God promised to them. Verse 17. After they had seen Jesus, they made known that which was told them. They didn't make known a different gospel, another gospel, a truncated gospel, a gospel that just says Jesus died so you can have your best life now and everything's going to be fine and you're never going to have problems. They told the real gospel. There's a God who came and laid in a manger and he's going to a cross for me and for you. True joy is found when we share the gospel just as God has given it. And when they share the gospel, they get a variety of responses, do they not? In verses 18, the shepherds marvel. Marveling is found throughout Luke. People are initially stunned by the message of divine revelation. Could it be true? Might it be true? Are these shepherds crazy? And as you go, when you go and run to Jesus and find that He's good on His promise, and you go and tell others, you'll find others who simply marvel for a moment. But then you'll find others like Mary, who don't just marvel. But what do they do? They treasure the gospel. They preserve it and they ponder it. Verse 19, over and over and over again, they consider the gospel. It's like the palmers trying to find a house. I can't tell you how many houses I've mulled over in my mind. And it's not delivering me, and it's not saving me, and it's not giving me joy. But do you want to know what can give you joy? The message of the gospel. You having a bad day? Reflect on this. God came and died for you and was raised to deliver you. That will give you joy. So we can't worry about what other people are going to say when we tell them about the joy we found. We just got to tell them we found joy. That's all we're accountable to do. And lastly, after we find this joy, 
in the manger, after we run to Jesus and declare it, we also must praise God continually. Look what happens in verse 20. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, and here it is again, as it was told them. God had done exactly what He said He was going to do. And what do the shepherds do? They all become preachers, right? They all, they all give up the shepherd's staff and put on, they don the cleric's collar. No! Just because you get radically, gloriously transformed by the gospel doesn't mean He's going to make you a preacher. He might very well send you right back into the same field that you had before glorifying and praising God continually. These shepherds go right back to the difficult work of shepherding. They get back to the muckiness of sheep, and as they go, they go praising God. They're not praising God for giving them a new vocation. They're not praising God for giving them an easier life. They're not praising God for changing their immediate circumstances. They're praising God for literally giving them new life in Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand, North Roanoke Baptist Church. How are we possibly, how can we even dare to dream that the valley would be transformed by the gospel? It's not going to happen if I just stand here and preach the gospel. It's going to happen as you go glorifying and praising God. Back into your vocations. Martin Luther said this, Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. It doesn't matter what God's called you to do or where He sent you. You go with the praise of God on your lips and watch what God will do with you. If our joy in the Lord this morning is simply contingent upon our circumstances, our joy is going to change as often as we change our socks. But if our joy is grounded in the truth of God's good news to men, it can never be taken not even when we go to Panera to write a sermon on joy and we find someone double parked. As we depart this morning, may it be that we too will return to what we've done before. And may it be that God will find us giving Him all the glory and all the praise for acting exactly as He promised He would do. Who is it that finds joy in this life? It's the one who receives the gospel personally. It was given to you. It's the one who pursues the Savior immediately. It's the one who declares the gospel faithfully. And finally, it's the one who praises God, no matter where God places you, continually. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, You've sent joy for us. And You did it in the person of Your Son. God, don't let us go one more Christmas service and miss the joy that you have for us in Christ. Help us to be moved by you and to respond to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jake comes to sing, I want to remind you of Jesus' words to, this, to the disciples in John chapter 16. He's preparing them for his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. And he says to his disciples this, until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Are you full of joy this morning?
Do you know Christ this morning in His joy? If you don't, I invite you to come. Or maybe you're a follower of Christ and you've just left the joy that God has for you. Won't you come and find joy afresh in Christ and His gospel? Let's sing.